welcome to episode two of Turnstiles and Tribulations. We're on Instagram at turnstiles underscore tribulations. We're also on Twitter at AFC Turn underscore trib. And we're also on Facebook where you can find us searching at Turnstiles and Tribulations. So we're going to talk today about the Arsenal versus Crystal Palace game, which happened on Friday. We're also going to cover a little bit of All or Nothing and the first three episodes that have come out on Amazon Prime, as well as a few other football topics from the weekend. And Chris, I think we're going to check in on our first week of FBL. Am I right? Yeah, we're going to have a look over how many points I got, see how many points I am ahead of everybody else in the league um, <laughs> from my fantastic picks. And you'll be glad to know that the team that I gave out last week, I've changed probably 10 of those players. Have you? Um, okay. So some, some exciting shots for you there. <laughs> so was that on purpose, a little rope-a-dope for people or? No, not at all. Just um, completely <laughs> backtracked on everything I said. Lots of faith everybody I had in the team. <laughs> Fair enough, fair enough. All right, well, uh, let's crack on with talking about the game from Friday. So on Friday, Arsenal travelled to Selhurst Park and we played Crystal Palace in the first game of the new Premier League season. Um, Chris, you must be devastated that the team you supported as a boy lost 2-0. Talk with me about it. It's the derby for me, yeah. It's the (laughs) the big one. They called it, I think they called it the Ian Wright derby, but it's it's my derby as well, that one, yeah. Yeah, I mean, because obviously, as we all found out last week, even to my surprise, after going to hundreds of football games with you, that you're actually a Palace fan um, and has thrown the whole credibility of this podcast into doubt. I don't want to be bringing this up every week. (laughs) I don't think we will. It's It's not made as a thing. (laughs) It's just the fact that you you dropped that bomb on me last week, the week we were playing Palace. So I'm just going to just stick it in now and we'll bring it up when we play them again. Uh, I want them to go down. Put that <laughs> no ties to them. It was a 2 0 win for the Arsenal, so I think we'll both be very happy with that. Would you say that you were very happy, or did you have other feelings about the game? I think, first game of the season, it was all about making sure we got a positive result after last season and the disastrous start with the issues we had against Brentford. It was really important that we went out and put to bed any kind of issues with our team not being up for a a physical challenge, with our team not being capable of performing under pressure and stuff like that. So I think it, it was important that we went out and really put down a marker for the season to show that we can do something this season and to put some confidence into the team nice and early. So to have a performance that was was decent as well as a result was a was a massive positive. But for me, it was all about making sure we got those three points on the first day and we weren't labelled as a, a struggling club mm-hmm. from day one, you know? Yeah, and I don't know about you, but from last season's game, as soon as the game kicked off, all of a sudden all these thoughts and feelings came rushing into me of how much I actually really dislike Crystal Palace at the moment. I was thinking, oh, they're a bunch of divers, they're a bunch of cheaters, especially last year's Saka incident at, at the Emirates, but uh, water under the bridge. <laughs> Sounds it, yeah, you've not held any resentment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, may, okay, yeah, may, may, maybe I am. But Just lingering all season. This is the cathartic process. I'm now letting it go. I'm getting it out there and... We took them to the cleaners, although we did give them the opportunity to worry us here and there. 
we played really, really well. And I was, like you said, very happy to get the three points at the beginning of the season, making sure that there's no unnecessary talk, no negative thoughts, feelings about the team at the start of the season. We can we can go from here. Okay, great. We've got the three points. We move on to the next game. So I was very happy with that. The For me, I'm just going to jump right in here, mate. Go for it. The beginning of the game... I was blown away, as were Palace, by our space that we created, the the movement that we provided off the ball to create passing opportunities. The passes were then quick. They were precise. They were whatever they needed to be in the moment, whether it was to feet, whether it was into space, whether it was a little chip pass over the person who's trying to close down, whether it was a little loop pass Whatever it was, we did exactly what the situation required. That is something that I've wanted Arsenal to do for years. We haven't been doing it for quite a while since we've had the technicians in the in the starting eleven, like a Kazola, like a Klepp, like a Rosicki, those kind of a, a player. And just the confidence, I guess, that has bred in this team pre-season and maybe beyond, maybe we're talking into the back end of last season as well. I think that that is what provided that kind of a start, in my opinion. I thought we looked really, really good. The pressing as well was absolutely on point. And I think if you've watched our game, that first 20 minutes or so, against any City or Liverpool game from last year, you would say that there was nothing between the teams in terms of how we went about it. The big but is only really lasted at that high, high, high level for about 20, 25 minutes and then kind of dropped off. Yeah, the the level of technical security we've got in possession now has gone up another level. Having Gabriel Jesus and Zinchenko, we knew that they, they were players who were going to bring something else to us when we're in possession and our ability to keep the ball and our ability to move the ball up the thirds of the pitch. And I thought from the beginning, Jesus was incredible. The ball comes to him and it just sticks and he can wriggle out of pressure and he can move the ball so quickly between his feet and bring other people into play. And it's a player profile we've not had up front for a long time. We've had players who've been able to get on the end of things and players who have dropped deep and to try to link things. But to have a player who can do both and have a player who can receive the ball under under pressure, back to goal, wriggle out of that pressure and release somebody else, just gave us something else. And it, it was really noticeable how quickly we were able to move the ball, like you said, with, with that intensity, how direct we could be. And it allows us to build up just in a different way than we've been able to in the last few seasons and with some security. Uh, you're not worried about people turning over possession and losing the ball because you know that the players who are receiving it are top quality. And I think it's even lifted the players who are not maybe known for that sort of thing, brought them to that level. But I was really impressed with with their start and their debut. And I know, I'm sure we'll get onto Arteta's comments and stuff afterwards, but I know that Arteta mentioned that those new players really you know, performed well and, and did the job he, that he asked them to do. 
Right. Um, and it, but it was so clear from the start, wasn't it? It was. And where you mentioned about Gabby Jesus able to kind of move the ball so quickly and really change direction, shield the ball from the person trying to tackle him at the time. And we had that great opportunity where he did exactly that. He wriggled into the box with about four or five touches and shielded the ball away from their defence. And the ball came to Martinelli and you're like, go on, smash it with your right foot into the top left-hand corner. But he tried to pass it into the net with his left foot into the bottom right-hand corner. Unfortunately, it just didn't quite come off. But that was exactly what you're kind of saying. We haven't had a chance created in that fashion in a long time. The uh, Martinelli chance was missed, but he obviously went on um, and made up for it. It wasn't too long after that we got the goal, took the lead with a blinding bit of uh, trickery from a corner. The- yeah, credit credit has to go a little bit to the set-piece coach, right? Is it Nicholas Jova? Because it, even last season, I remember, I haven't got the statistics to hand, but the amount of chances we, we created from, from corners and how dominant we were, even defending them as well. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of credit has to go to him. I think Arteta did mention at the end of the game in his interview that it was something that they'd worked on. Uh, obviously, then you've got to execute it really well. You know, the players have to have to do the correct movements, and the ball has to go into the right area. So there's there's a lot on them as well. But it just gives you something extra when we know so many goals are scored through set pieces that we can create stuff and having some height in the team with uh, Ben White as an extra sort of centre-back, if you like, another sort of target. I think when they were analysing the the goal, you could see that Zahar, I think it was on the edge of the box, didn't quite know who to who to mark because Ben White was an option there. And then as the ball comes in, he, he just drops back and he's the player who's, who's doing the covering job in case there's any sort of transition from now, any sort of counter-attack. But he's another threat. And it's it just takes attention of defenders away when you've got so many threats and the ball can go into so many different areas. And then when the ball goes to someone like Zinchenko, who I don't know, what is he, five foot nine or something in the end? Yeah, he's not the biggest. Um that that's just such a clever bit of movement. Uh and I'm sure there'll be a load of different varieties during the season that we'll see. Because I I can't imagine we'll use that one again because it's been so successful and people will be ready for it. But to keep it fresh um, and to add some goals from set pieces will be fantastic this season if we can we can keep up with it. The set piece coach, surely he just sits there all day dreaming these up and then gets, I don't know how a coaching session would be structured. I mean, you, you could show or maybe kind of give some insight into that as a coach yourself. What would you give to that kind of part of the game in a coaching session per day? How much time would you spend on a free kick routine or a corner kick routine, as well as the fact you've got to do the defending side of it too. Yeah, I think a lot of it will be done after the main session. So often you'll get players talk about doing some individual work, some individual finishing or stuff like that. I think the team will have their main session and then maybe the set set piece coach will have a period of time with them to work on a couple of things. But I think the players these days are so well drilled with these kind of movements there's a likelihood you can also just give players 
the movements on, you know, some sort of device or uh, I know that a lot of clubs will upload videos and stuff to the players and the players can watch them in their own time. Well, there's something that you, you could explain to a player. These are the movements you've got to make on this particular corner and these are the variations. Um, and I think players will be quite receptive to taking that information on and being able to get it out there. The The worry I had was from Palace's long balls. They're such a direct team. They play the whole game sort of on the exterior. They're, they're playing the ball out wide and they're playing the ball long. They're missing out in the midfield. They don't really want to give the ball to um, the, the centre midfielders. I think they had a new a new player in there. Is it Decore? Yeah, Decore. Eze as well, who's hybrid attacker, hybrid midfielder. Type and then player. Schlupp, who's, a, who's really a left-back, who's playing in midfield, who's the, sort of the third midfielder in that area. Yeah. Um, so they, they play everything direct. Everything's long. And I thought there was a, a worry when we were allowing Joachim Anderson to keep pinging the ball like, uh, I don't know, Pirlo or something. He was <laughs> he was hitting his big diagonals over to Wilf Sahar. Yeah. And then you're left in a position where you're one-on-one on one, one on one up against Sahar and that's, that's somewhere you don't want to be. It actually turned out that Ben White, I thought, dealt with him one-on-one on one really well. Absolutely. And he won a lot of tackles and, and it didn't turn out to be a massive a massive issue. But I did think we've really got to start closing Joachim Anderson down because at some point they're going to get some success, even if there's a little bit of luck involved with those long balls and just allow maybe the ball to go to the other side, to Mark Gahey, who's not a player who's going to hit that ball I think he, he hit a couple of long passes and they were really poorly executed. They were overhit or they went out of play. And I thought there was a tendency where we were we were letting Yoki Manderson just have a little bit too much space, a little bit too much time. And we really needed to go and press him a little bit more to stop that ball at, at source rather than try and deal with the ball once it comes down to Zahar. And and then you're in the, the defensive third and you're you're a little bit worried by what he can do because he's a he's a tricky player and on his day he can beat beat you with a bit of um speed or a bit of change of of direction so for you is it a case of you know we saw the swing towards the end of the half if not by 25 minutes half an hour and palace picked their level up or did arsenal drop was it a mixture of both it's difficult because the the balance of the team is affected by Sahar so so much and dealing with him defensively. So he had, I thought, Saka dropping quite far back to make sure that Ben White wasn't on his own and to make sure he did his defensive duties. And it meant, I thought, in the first 25, 30 minutes that Saka's attacking output was really low. Yeah, He didn't really get forward much. He didn't really get on the ball much, but he was doing a job defensively to make yeah. sure that Ben White wasn't isolated. Then on the other side, you've got Martinelli, who was a lot further up the pitch because A, he was not going to beat you for pace or skill, really, and he's going to drift inside quite a lot. So one of the central midfielders can pick him up, whoever that is. Um, so there was a, a kind of a asymmetric feel to the, to the structure of, of the way we were playing at the start. But then, like I said, I thought Martinelli's pressing and Jesus's pressing on the defenders wasn't great. I thought we had to try and 
really focus our attention on Yoki Manson because he's the one who was all their all their output was coming from him, and it was time after time he was in space and he was able to put that ball across. The goalkeeper can't make that that pass. He's he's not fantastic with his feet, and you know that Mark Gay he's not going to make that pass. Uh, I can't remember who they are on the right side, but again they, they weren't hitting the diagonal, and I thought we needed to react a little bit quicker to that threat because that was the only threat they've had they are so direct they've got no intention of playing it into central midfield they're only going to go you know and hit big diagonals and then work from those areas and cutting out a source is so much better than trying to deal with the ball once it's there mm-hmm. and you're you're up against those attackers yeah but we like we mentioned there as well uh i thought ben white did a really good job up against the heart, uh, snuffing him out, frustrating him. We also had good performances at the back from Saliba, from Gabriel. Uh, I'm sure we'll come on to Saliba as well at some point in our summarization of the uh, of the game. There were a few nervy moments I thought we created ourselves, though. Uh, obviously, there was a Ramsdale incident where he kicked the ball straight to Palace, and mm. uh, they came at us for that. And there was just a couple of others. And there was even a part of me that thought Gabrielle looked a little, and I mean only a little bit. I'm being so nitpicky here. We've won and I'm very happy. And, and so I'm not upset about it at all. But he looked a little jittery. And uh, I don't know if you saw that or whether I'm just seeing things. Yeah, I don't know whether the Ramsdale incident put the crowd in a position where they were so lively that then it affected the players and there was a little bit of a hangover from last year that, you know, things can go wrong maybe because I think you're right, there was a little bit of jitteriness in that defence at times, not from Saliba, but from from the other guys in there. Um, But I, I think overall we dealt with their threats quite well. The Ramsdale incident is a funny one because... When you see the camera behind the goal and you see what he's trying to do, there's a really good run from Jesus from outside to in. Uh, and the ball is on its way. It's, that tra- trajectory would have met quite well with it with him. And then you, you had a kind of two versus two situation with Saka as well, who was on that side. And if it would have come off, it would have been a really good pass. So right. I, I love the intention of that. I know that people will be frustrated maybe or, or worried about Ramsdale making a couple of those sort of errors in the same game. But that's that's what we get from him. Every one of those that hits a player, there's going to be 10 of those that are hit perfectly and yeah. give us a chance to attack from. And that's just the, the game. I think he was holding on to the ball a little bit too long Maybe because he was waiting for that run to be perfect, and he was he wanted that run to be timed by by Jesus. Um, but I don't think it was one where he panicked and just kicked it at the Palace player. I think he was really trying to feed that ball through to the the striker at that moment. Yeah, and the other good thing about Ramsdale is that he is also pretty good at pulling himself out of a sticky situation. If he's been the one to put himself in it, he, he can recover very well. So very quickly, again, he puts it to the back of his mind, doesn't he? Yeah. He's not, you know, he's not worried about it. He just gets on with things. Yeah, exactly. So uh, I've got no real problem with us trying those things. And the risk is 
being closed down in that fashion, especially when you've got this absolute unit of a French bloke that we've farmed out on loan for the last three years to uh, to cover us. We can uh, kind of come onto it now. We may be jumping the gun a little bit as we haven't really even got into the second half, but William Saliba take a bow and uh, enjoy that debut. That, for me, was very, very good. And do you know what? I maybe didn't even quite recognise during the game how good it was. Maybe for me even, because he went about his work reasonably quietly. There were a few times where he did make uh, big tackles, like there was one in the box in the second half where he kind of jumped in and cleared the ball, uh, again, mopping up uh, after others, which is what you do in a team. That's, that's again, that's not having a go. That's that's what you do if if a player runs past me, you're then there, you know, to try and uh, take care of the threat. And uh, in that way of going about his business quietly yet extremely effectively, he reminded me of Gilberto, obviously a completely different position, but it reminded me of Gilberto Silva in that he was so good at just getting the ball, giving it to the nearest person to him that was open. That was what he did all the time. And Saliba was just brilliant at, I'm going to have that ball back, thank you, even if it is just in our uh, six-yard box. And we, we either played it out nicely. There were a couple of times where we did just kind of hoof it to get it clear and to take a moment and reset. But for the most part, we continued to play out and play well with it. So, yeah, for me, I was uh, kind of post-match really astonished at how good that was. It took a minute to kind of settle in how good of a game he had. Really exciting, isn't he? Yeah. So exciting. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Don't let him go. I can't believe I can't believe how good he was in that game. I don't want to get too excited or too hyped up about how good he could be once he gets to the games and whether he if he finds consistency with us. But like physically, he's so dominant. He's so fast, he's so strong, he's got the height, and then you add in the intelligence that he has in his positional sense, and then the fact that he can also carry the ball out of defence and he can make really good passes. He's on paper. He's the complete defender. Yeah, you know, if if Haaland is the complete striker that City have just signed, this guy's the complete defender. He's got absolutely everything, and if he stays with us and if he stays consistent, there's no telling how good this era could be with a defender like him at the back because he's just he he has everything. He's he's defending against is it Mateta, the Palace striker who's like six foot eleven or whatever he is. <laughs> He just bullied him at times. Yes. He just bullied him. He was so tight to him. He was following him around the pitch. I was going to say, time. he man-marked him really well. That was clearly a thing. Every that... time the ball came to him, he was just tight. And he was just like, you're not going to turn. You're not going to go anywhere. Nah. And um, it's just, it's incredible to have that security at the back. Uh, I, I was really impressed by him. And long may it continue. Let's, let's hope that he gets some consistency and he stays injury-free and these two in defence stay as a partnership because they worked really well together. Do you think that he is salty in any way of the being out on loan? Obviously, there has been talk for the last couple of years while he's been out, both from fans and from a couple of interviews that he did. And again, translation, things can be lost. But uh, are you confident that he's like, right, I'm here now. 
and and off we go. Now I start my Arsenal career. Sure, here's a new contract. I'll sign that. Let's go. Or do you think there's a little bit of resentment in there? Like, oh, you didn't trust me. Uh, you didn't want me. Do you think there's any of that or do you think we're good? I think we're good. I don't have any doubts over the fact that he wants to be here now. The The interview he gave afterwards, I thought, was really good. I thought on the pitch after the game, his reaction to the win was really interesting. Very understated. Yeah. Very calm. While the other players were smiling and, and a bit of a, a clap to the crowd, he was, you know, very um, focused and he just looked like, okay, that's that job done, but <laughs> this is not this is not what I want from my career to beat Palace and that's it. Yeah. And I can celebrate that. Yeah. I want more. Uh, so, you know, I, I think he's, what he's saying is, is right and the way he's saying it is right. I, I'm, I'm not worried by other teams yet. I think he will sign the new contract and I think the idea to send him on loan and the performances he's, he's given on loan tell you that it was part of a plan. Mm-hmm. As much as some people won't like to hear that that he was away for so many years, he needed it. He needed the time away. And he's now at still a young age. Was he 21? He's still a kid in terms of a central defender. And he can be our central defender for, for a long time. The thing you mentioned there about him being out on loan as well, just triggered from... And jumping a little bit ahead here, we can touch back on this a bit later in the show but just a quick snippet from All or Nothing where Mikel Arteta was talking about Emil Smith-Rowe sending him out on loan up to Huddersfield. And he told him, I'm not going to watch your games. I know you can play for us. I want to hear what people say about you. And hearing that, I immediately applied that to Saliba. And I was thinking, is that exactly where he was with that? That they already liked him. Going back to Saint-Étienne, that was just part of the deal to buy him which I totally understand. Then the other two loans, again, like you say, uh, we had players in there at the time, love them or hate them, that were playing. And I think if all of this was part of a master plan, it's working very well. Trust the process. So, yeah, fingers crossed. And again, I'll try not to overanalyze it where you just mentioned how nice it was that he was calm and considered after the win. And this isn't the be all and end all. I'm like, Oh God, I hope he's with us. I hope he's like stoked and, and keen that he's, he's won the game and he's not just like, Oh, look at these peasants celebrating beating Palace while I'm, I'm considering moving to Barcelona. Shall we come on to the second half? What were your, what were your thoughts there? Yeah. We started to lose control a little bit in that second half and it's hard to work out whether it was part of Palace's improvement because I don't think they did anything particularly different maybe they played with a little bit more intensity but I think it might have been us just dropping off a little bit just um, figuring out how to play 1-0 up figuring out how to deal with the pressure and Maybe a little bit of a, not lack of confidence because pre-season has been good and I think there is confidence in the group, but maybe just um, a little bit of being unsure about how to deal with things. Should we be unsure? Should, yeah, I, I do think the same thing. I wasn't sure myself, is it is it us dropping off or is it Paris getting better or is it both? But 
the pattern last year was very much that we could play a game and we would have bursts of 20 minutes, half an hour maybe, where we look really, really good. And then we have moments where we could concede a, a hatful of goals. I don't think we've seen a game where we have maintained the same level throughout. And to be honest, I don't think we could. The level that we started with was so high and so impressive. I don't know how you would keep that for 90 minutes anyway. But uh, that is a thing I have wondered and probably the biggest nagging feeling that I have about the team is should we be at a point where we're having to figure out how to play in that moment in the game and deal with whatever situation it is? And by that, I mean, you know, we've dropped off or they've picked up their, the opposition that is, have picked up their game. And how do we cope with it? For me, I've always been uh, attack is the best form of defence. So I don't particularly like it when we do have those quiet periods and we are trying to find our way in the game especially when we've come from a point where we were dictating everything in the game. So I would like to see that kind of dealt with and see us be a bit more solid throughout the game because, yeah, the stats by the end of the game were Palace with more possession. They equaled us for the amount of shots. Uh, They, on paper, looked like they could have won it. Thankfully, it didn't turn out that way, and it wasn't like we were under the gun the whole time. But I just to to take away all the anxiety that we as Arsenal fans have had over the last few years that something bad. There's always been that looming feeling that something bad might happen. I would just like to see some more solidity, and I do hope that now you touched on it earlier that kind of technical ability that we've got, especially in possession, players like Partey. Saliba, Gabriel, whether it's White or Tomiyasu, whether it's Zinchenko or Tierney, I think all of those players have what it takes to keep us on the ball, to keep good shapes, to keep their heads. So hopefully it will disappear throughout the season and we will look strong for 90 minutes instead of for 40 minutes. And the damage that we do in those 40 minutes was enough to win us the game because I kind of feel that that's what this was. I feel that we were that good for the time that we were good. We did the damage there and then, and we weathered the storm a little bit here and there. Um, They were on us straight from the off. Ramsdale made a really good save from Eze, I think after only about six or seven minutes of the restart. We did seem a bit sloppy. I think White was out of position. He was over on the left and was trying to run out from the back with it. And that's how the ball kind of came back. He just kind of overran it a bit. Then, again, with them kind of in the ascendancy, I think it was around that time that Saliba had that really nice tackle on Zahar in the box. And it was at that point as well, I was thinking about how well Ben White has done up against him one-on-one throughout the whole game. I thought White didn't look uh, out of his depth or in trouble. You know, He had to work hard but he looked like he was coping with it all. What did you kind of make of that? So Ben White up against Zahar was a really interesting battle. I thought that he he got a booking relatively early on from what I remember. I can't remember. It was in the second half, right? It was about 60 minutes in, I think, when he, he made that little drag back, was it, on Zahar? And 
he put himself under a little bit a little bit of pressure with that one. But overall, I thought at, at fullback he did really well. He did a fantastic job. He was tight enough at times to to stop Zahar spinning off and getting in behind. And then he he watched the ball really well. Zahar's one of these who's you know he step overs and tricks and um, a lot of feints before he moves the ball. And I thought Ben White was really measured in how he dealt with him. He mm-hmm. didn't get frustrated if Zahar did get past him for a moment. He, he just really stuck to him. And it was a really good job. And especially with Saka coming back, working, you know, doubling up on Zahar and then Saliba coming across the cover at times. And I think you said there he made that fantastic tackle in the box on, on Zahar to, to win the ball. And you could see as the game went on and on and on how frustrated Zahar was getting. And I think that's generally a sign of whether he's getting success or not. If his hands are going up in the air, if he's diving and not getting his free kicks, if he's complaining to the referee, that tells you really that the defender is winning the battle. Yeah. And like I said, 1v1 against Zahar, the best defender in the world, which I think we've agreed is Saliba, <laughs> the best defender in the world is going to get beaten now and again yeah. by him. By, it's just impossible to, to, to win that battle every single time. So to get a sort of... Success, Ben White did with the, with the tackles. I thought he, he dealt with us really, really well. I was going to ask you about what you thought about the substitutions and whether you thought that had an effect on the game because it was, I think, 84 minutes in when we first made a change and it just felt to me like the game was, like, like I said before, we lost a little bit of control in that second half, but then it felt like it was going on and on and... You, we got to that sort of 60 minute 70 minute mark and i thought this team needs freshen up the the legs are just starting to go a little bit the intensity's not quite there in the press what did you think of that late substitutions yeah i exactly that i thought they were late but we make them and then we go and score so they're a masterstroke but you're right we'd dropped off uh, a level of physicality and a level of I don't know if fitness is the right word, but certainly mental fitness, certainly sharpness. For example, Erdegaard, the ball gets laid into you like it does from Jesus from the right there. Just hit it. Just hit it. Don't try and lay yeah. it off again. Just take it, mate. Be selfish. Uh, again, I mean, he, he came close with a free kick as well in that second half. But other than that, up until the point of the the substitutions, I was thinking, like, okay, I can understand if he's thinking, oh, don't change it because, you know, hold what we've got. And then, you know, hold being the opportunistic word there, do we bring Rob Holding on and do we go three at the back and just try and hold out for the 1-0 win? No, we, did, we didn't. We we brought on uh, Nketiah and we brought on... Um, God, Tierney. Tierney. Yeah, which, side note, good to see that he was uh, fit and able to do that. And, yes, it was... I think a minute or two afterwards. And then Saka had the license to to get down the right there and, and try to put a ball in. I think it was uh, Nketiah that laid it off to him as well with a nice, nice, uh, nice ball into him. And it was, it was great that that kind of a uh, slice of luck happens because I think we went through all of last season without anything like that happening to us with, you know, a cross going in and a, a great header to the back post by their captain and central defender. 
I don't remember that happening at all last year. So the more of that that can happen, the better. Because we needed it. And that, I think, is something that you would say is synonymous with that with us at the moment. We absolutely need a second goal. I don't think one's enough for us at the moment. Although, like you mentioned, soon-to-be-named Ballon d'Or winner Saliba is going to shore things up for us at the back. I still, at the minute, you know, that anxiety that we have that at any moment the ref is going to screw us or a an unnamed Swiss player might go and do something reckless and gift the opposition something it's uh it's a worry so to get that was great and you have to say well played Arteta for making the subs when you did because that's all we can go on he made them late and then we scored but I was questioning it, like you say, from 60, 65 minutes. I was like, not seeing any signals going over to the guys warming up. So, uh, yeah. What what did you think? Were you pleased? Were you scared? What, what, where was your head? I wonder whether we can read anything into the fact that he didn't make changes until late on and the fact that he didn't make changes in the wide areas when we know how sort of intense that role is, the the wide job and the fact that Saka on his side had to come back and do a lot of defending as well, where does that put Reese Nelson and Pepe? Were they on the bench as, you know, just to fill up the space or were they serious options this season? Are we going to consider them players? Or does that tell you that Arteta doesn't trust them and doesn't want to use them or they could be off? Or I think, what do you think about that? Yeah, I think that I, I'd said in the first part that we did, you know, I'm okay with them playing a group game in Europa. But beyond that, no, especially not in a game where we had been on the back foot a little bit. We dealt with it, but we were on the back foot. You can't bring Pepe on in that. He's not going to give you the tracking back that Saka does. And I do remember seeing Ben White at one point kind of giving Saka a bit of a rocket and a reminder, you need to get back and help me. Pepe's not going to do that. Reese Nelson, I know nothing really about what he did uh, while he was on loan last season. I saw he got a couple of goals here and there. I'd like to see him play. I mean, you think back to a couple of years ago, we scored that goal against Liverpool in the league. And I was so thrilled because, again, it's like another Hailander. Like, great, here we go. But no, I, I think they were place fillers on the bench. I, I do think that. I don't think the wide players were getting changed. I thought it would either be Rob Holding, Nketiah, Elneny uh, that were the serious contenders to come on because I wasn't sure if Tierney was fit enough to come on. And but like I say, I was glad that he obviously was able to because I think that could freeze Zinchenko up to go into midfield and I'd re- I'm really excited to see that in the same way that I'm really excited to see where we're going to place Fabio Vieira because obviously he wasn't on the bench he would be there Smith Rowe also would be on the bench so does that automatically relegate Pepe and Nelson out of those spots on the bench yeah it could do it's interesting when Arteta was asked pre-match about whether those four players were fit and he said that three of them could be sort of available and then only Tierney makes the squad. Um, we did see 
I don't know if you saw this, but Tomiyasu and Marquinhos played in the Premier League two game for the under twenty ones. Okay, I didn't realise um, that Tomiyasu had. I saw the Marquinhos did because I heard that he he also will be nominated for the junior Ballon d'Or if that's a thing. Yeah, he he had a really good game from the highlights I saw. But yeah, Tomiyasu I think played forty five minutes. Okay, um, just to get some minutes under his belt, I guess. Uh, and Arteta was there watching, so maybe the subs bench will be different a week down the line when we go to sorry when we play Leicester um, it is Leicester next right yeah I think so yeah Leicester um, at home so so maybe we'll see whether it's Smith Rowe or Vieira or Tommy Asu fill in those positions and maybe we'll see Arteta use more than the three subs he ended up doing yeah yeah, because I, I also was interested to see first game, how is the five sub rule going to be used and, you know, is it who's going to blink first, stick or twist, what kind of thing. So, yeah, it was interesting. And we'll like you say, we'll see how that plays out over the uh, the coming weeks, I guess. So, full time, 2-0. Our fans are delirious. Uh, had quite a few mates that were there at the game. Said it was a great atmosphere, as you'd expect especially with Palace, who are able to create a bit of noise at their ground. And for me, I just thought that is a good win where, as we know, last season we did lose there uh, and we buckled under pressure previously. We got through a game that wasn't particularly easy and we had the odds um, fraught period, but we weathered it together. And I talked about it in the last episode, that unity we hunted in packs when we were defending. We were bailing people out as and when we needed to. Thankfully, it wasn't too often. But I just thought that really lays down a marker now for us, which is perfect to go into uh, into the start of the season, which, you know, say it quietly, we've got a few nice fixtures there. You know, could we even get all of the points available? Could we? Should we? Should we, yeah. Welcome back. We're going to do a little bit on the All or Nothing, the first three episodes that have been released on Amazon Prime. This whole thing has got me really excited. Some people didn't want it. Uh, We aren't a particularly public club with a lot of what we do. There's a lot of things that people don't hear about, read about or see, but that the club does. And this was a chance for us to get inside the uh, into the team and find some things out. So, yeah, take it away, Chris, with what you kind of thought and what you picked up from uh, from those first few episodes. For me, I'm looking at it as a as a coach, and I'm looking at the kind of relationships that the coaches have with the players, and the the little things we can take from what Arteta's doing that are different to other people. And I think the big takeaway from those first few episodes is. Arteta's ability to get a message across using cartoons. <laughs> so I'm using cartoons. Using yeah, cartoons. Using <laughs> quite quite artistic skills there. But no, just um the way he was getting messages across and the the differences that he has to some other coaches. But one of them would have would have been that that drawing, which was really interesting. 
and the the speech that he gave about his his heart surgery as a kid and opening up about um something that he'd been through in a personal story the fact that um Stuart McFarlane was was given a bit of a pre-match team talk for the uh Tottenham game yeah the the photographer and that he's allowed to be involved in the group and that his his voice is heard just like anybody else's um the fact that uh, I think it's Carlos Cuesta was was having that one-on-one chat with Saka in the canteen and his relationship with the players as a individual development coach trying to get across little messages or build things within within the individuals that sort of side of it was really interesting for me because you often think about players and you think about training sessions as being quite binary and it's just they they turn up they coach how to shoot better and then they should be better at shooting when actually there's so much more involved in in building relationships there's so much more involved in getting specific messages across to certain players building confidence in in individuals being able to relate to them you know you saw you know that little chat that uh Carl's quest to have with with Saka you saw how relatable it is maybe to have a somebody in their mid twenties talking to Saka as a twenty year old um and you saw how sort of personable he was, but able to get a message across maybe more than you know a fifty year old i don't know how old Steve round is but a fifty year old Steve round or forty five year old Steve round so all these different individual coaches with their different roles within the team. I find really fascinating and it's it's incredible to see that side of the club and see that, that plan at work and all those differences that the individuals bring. It really, for me, opens up how much work goes in, like you say, not, I don't know if manipulation is the right word, but like that Carl's Quester chat, that wanting to bring something out, wanting to get a message across um, and to get the team where they want them, to mould them. So that is a manipulation. If, you know, you mould something, you're manipulating it into that shape. So I mean it in a positive way. The effort, the amount of work away from the team when they're not even with them, that then must go into it, that we're not even seeing. It's fascinating, that level of work. And it seemed to have an effect. And the way that it was edited together as well, uh, the chat that, Saka was having in episode one, post uh, England misery, unfortunately, and talking about how he went to the shops and everyone was waiting outside for him and stuff. And they hadn't really thought about this. And you don't, when you're a kid and you dream of scoring the winner in a cup final, you don't think about, oh, the next time I go to Sainsbury's, it's going to be a nightmare. You, you just think about what happens on the field. So... Yeah, to then have that chat, like you say, and to be told that you do live a life that's a bit different and opening up the opportunity to talk about it if you want. I thought that was great. I thought the uh, Nuno Tavares, they, they clearly pegged him early on. He had had a great start to his playing time with us, but he wasn't coming out of his shell. And that was something that obviously Arteta really wanted to kind of um, pull up and open up a channel for him to talk and to develop and blossom as a person, as that seems to be a, a very key message for me, what I'm picking up from it, that Arteta wants 
the people to blossom as well because he obviously believes that that feeds into the team. Again, talking about Emil Smith-Rowe and how he didn't care about how he played. It was about what people said about him as a person. So, yeah, I'm finding it really interesting as well. The other thing that I really liked, and obviously we know the backstory with players like Ozil uh, and a couple of others that have been time thieves, as uh, Arteta put it, all of the players, when they are listening to his team talks, they are all engaged. There isn't someone sat there leaning up against the wall, looking off into space. They're all looking at him and are focused. Even the, the players aren't playing. There was a shot where Tierney's not in the in the squad because he had an injury. And they're all hanging on every word of what he's saying. And that, again, comes back to what I was talking about last time on the last show, the unity, the togetherness. And for me, that's a huge part of any team. If you don't have that, it's irrelevant if you've got 11 people with the uh, ability of Messi or Ronaldo because they're not going to be able to do it all the time. So I'm loving that inside look. The big one for me, obviously, last year I was able to be back in England and I was at the North London Derby, which was an amazing game. And I said to you at the time, the difference I felt with the fan connection, even at that point of the season, that I hadn't heard the Emirates like that. Not like not in that fashion, other than really big games like the Barcelona win years ago with our Chavez winning goal and stuff like that. Those really, really big games, I hadn't heard it like that. And even from watching, obviously, as far as you and I were last season, that transmitted through on the TV. So to be there last year was great for that that game. And like you mentioned as well, to see that McFarlane had uh, obviously given the team talk because I did see Arteta on the pitch after the game, like pointing down at him and I was like, what's going on there? Like, is he just is he just a really big fan of Stuart today or, or what? So yeah, to find, <laughs> to find out that he had uh, given the team talk was brilliant. I'm excited about it. Definitely excited about watching some more of it and uh, seeing some more about the internal workings of the club because it's it's really interesting. I think even from the first few episodes that we've seen of this one, and maybe there's a little bit of a bias, but there seems to be a lot more interesting content than there was in the other lot up the road or from mm-hmm. the, the Man City one. Um, maybe, maybe that's bias and maybe that's because I'm a little bit more interested in the subject matter. But I think so because I did... I when it first came out I refused to watch the Tottenham one but I did end up watching it because I was home for the day and bored a little while back and I hoped that there would be lots of things that I could laugh at them for uh, and there were a few but uh, yeah I think it is that bias we, we want to see it and I think also it is that ache for content knowing that we are a club who do not give this kind of thing up uh, easily so that was a big thing for me, the, the fact that we were even doing it in the first place. The money doesn't hurt, you know, goes towards some players' wages. Yeah. So, so that's good. Oh, one other thing um, that I really liked as well, Kieran Tierney, who is living with one of the chefs, but brought his mate down, who is the chef, from from Scotland when he when he joined us because he had a personal chef at that point even who was focused on nutrition to now the fact that that guy is working for the club too. Love that. Uh, I'd love to know how that came about as well. Just little tidbits like that, again, would be boring to many, 
but I would find interesting. So maybe that will uh, come out in some of the other episodes. So that covers the first few episodes of All or Nothing. Stick with us and we'll be back shortly to talk about the rest of the weekend and what happened in the Premier League. Okay, Chris, so I managed to come home from my weekend away. I have watched Match of the Day 1 and 2, caught up finally with the goals. I did know the results, but I wanted to actually see the goals. What stood out to you this weekend? Can we start with Man United? We can start with whatever you want. Let's start, start with Man, Man United. United. Please, let's, let's start with the shambles, the dumpster <laughs> fire that, that continues to be... Um, Man United. While we've got the opportunity, let's kick them while they're down. Because I, my, so, so my take on it is this: I think they've recruited a really good manager in Ten Hag, and I think they will throw money at the problem and they will find their way out of it. So I think now's the time while they're struggling to really put the boot in, because I, I think they'll, re- I think they'll recover. Um, but I, I think we've got a, I've got to give a little bit of a. Credit to Danny Welbeck. I don't know if you saw, I don't know how much of the highlights you saw, but he was fantastic. He was, he didn't get the goals. Um, Pascal Gross got the two goals, but he got, he got an assist and I thought he was close to being man of the match. He led the line fantastically. He bullied um, not just Harry Maguire, but £60 million pounds worth of five foot nine Argentinian Lissandro Martinez uh, on, on his debut. I mean, you wouldn't have that happened to Zinchenko now would you absolutely no way um, and we certainly wouldn't have it to William Saliba no chance no chance um, but it was, yeah it's just it was a really good game to watch I th- thought Brighton were really good it it reminded me a little bit of, of us last season with Brentford once Brighton got going and they got got their confidence it just looked like every pass they, they made was perfect every movement seemed to go the right way the 50-50s bounced to them Everything was going their way, and and it was. Man United seemed to be in the position that Arsenal were in five years ago, where it just feels like nothing's going right, and it's you know you can't find a way out, and all the players seem to have lost their confidence. But they're an absolute mess. Uh, the midfield was a disaster. Not starting Ronaldo, and then um, having to bring him on. Credit goes to Brighton. They looked up for it, and. Quietly, they had a really good season last year. They have sold very well, especially in the last couple of days. Um, selling Cucurella for, is it the reporting something like $68 million to Chelsea? Something like that, yeah. I mean, I was going to talk about Chelsea in a bit and, and their absolute mugs, but we'll stick with uh, Brighton for now. They, to me are the Leicester of, what was it, five years ago, six years ago, when they won the league. I don't think that they have the not star power, because even then Leicester didn't have star power until they won it. But they certainly have that team ethic where they'll all pitch in and they're all going in the right direction and they're all trying no matter what. And fair play to them. I thought they did really, really well. Being from the South Coast, I also have a bit of a soft spot, you know, growing up. 30 minutes from Brighton. So uh, I'd like to see them do well. And I'm very happy with them. And yes, my point I would make about them and their sales, they're clearly the best-selling team in Premier League history. 
because Arsenal would sell players to Man City in our past and we wouldn't get that kind of money. And uh, Man City was smart enough to say, no, we think this player is only worth 30 million. We're not going any more than that. Uh, Chelsea probably thought Barcelona were going to get involved and so slapped in a ridiculous offer because their owner went and fired their director of football and was like, no, I'll do this, went full-on football manager on it and has, has taken full control himself. And even the money they got out of, of us last year for Ben White, who I think maybe wasn't worth 50 million, but not far off it, 35, 40, I'd have said. So if you're going to put add-ons in there. But yeah, full credit to Brighton. And uh, yeah, United do look like they're in trouble. And it's nice to hear booze ringing around Old Trafford first game of the season. It's fantastic. And seeing the uh, the fallout with, with Roy Keane and Neville, it's always good to to see them struggling and long may it continue. Yeah, yeah. I don't want to spend too much time on it, but Neville is a, a little twerp when it comes to all this. You know, he can't... <laughs> he loves to try and stick the boot into Arsenal and you to see it tearing at him like it does uh, is absolutely fantastic. So I really hope that that continues as well. Um, Who else you want to discuss then in the Premier League? I think just briefly, Erling Haaland scoring uh, a brace on his debut. Some people who I felt were clearly people who don't know football saying, oh, he's going to come to England and he's not going to do as well up against Premier League uh, defenders. I think he's going to do just fine. Don't you worry about that. Simple as that. I think he's just going to be banging in the goals left, right and centre. I thought he looked really, really good. Scary good. Absolutely, yeah. yeah I, th- I thought he did well in the uh, Community Shield the week before. I know he missed that chance, but uh, I thought he played really well there. I thought City were in first gear for that game. Um it was a really hard game to watch because City just strangled the life out of the game. They just passed the ball around. They weren't much of a threat going forward. I don't think they had many more shots on target than um, than the two goals. But they just drained the life out of, of the game and West Ham couldn't get anywhere near the ball. Uh, what frustrates me a little bit is West Ham didn't get a book in. Because I think when a team is just passing the ball around, you have to really get stuck into them, you know, make them make them play in a different way. You try and stamp some authority on the game. I thought West Ham were a little bit passive in the way that they um, dealt with the game. They just sort of laid back and right. um, and sort of just let let City walk all over them. But I think they'll do that with a, with a lot of teams this year, City. But um, they look good. No surprise there. Speaking of bookings, one thing to go back to United. Scott McTominay has got to be the worst tackler in football since Paul Scholes. And that's it, end quote. And somehow, though, he does not get in trouble for it. If we were to wheel out our jacometer of the tackle spectrum, the FA would have strapped him to a chair and pulled his fingernails off with pliers for a tackle like that, where Scott McTominay just gets yellow cards. And there was a few in the game against us uh, that I thought he's done well to stay on the pitch here. And there's been quite a few in other games. I wouldn't be able to rat them all off and, and tell you them all. But he is a dirty little git, and he is getting away with it, and he is going to break someone's leg. 
And I just think it's utterly wrong. And they're only going to talk about it once it's happened. Yeah, it was a it was a horrible tackle that the one that was sort of studs up. I think it might have been on Caicedo, who was also he was fantastic. He's he's going to be some player. I think he's only twenty. Um, but that tackle was was really dangerous, and I'm surprised that that goes to VAR and they don't change it really. Yeah, because it it looked like it could have been a red. Um, just going back, I know we've we've done the Arsenal part, but Jack are getting the first yellow card of the Premier League team <laughs> for a dive. <laughs> it, it, I mean, yes, do you know what? And I totally forgot to come back to that point. So well done on remembering that. I was embarrassed, and the fact that he was like, "What do you mean you're booking me?" I I, I don't think he wanted the foul. I don't think he um, appealed for it. I think he was. He might not have, but he certainly yeah. went down in a way that he was. He was hoping the referee saw him. Yeah, I, I think he sort of tried to ride the challenge a bit uh, and then just flopped down onto the floor. But I don't think he was trying to get... He rode it so well, it didn't touch him. <laughs> I don't think he was trying to get a free kick for it. I think he was just... He realised that he'd overrun the ball. And I've seen this... I've seen over the course of this Premier League weekend, a lot of players go down under very little pressure or no pressure. And I've not seen any player booked for simulation yet apart from Xhaka. So it just, I mean, it's classic, but, you know. That was basically it from what I picked up from the weekend. The uh, I suppose you could give some credit to Fulham and getting their draw against Liverpool on that dry as a bone pitch. I don't know if you saw Fulham's uh, social media admin got back at them this morning or yesterday morning with a lovely picture of the sprinklers on just before the game kicked <laughs> off saying uh, how good the pitch looked with uh, the water emoji. And uh, so, yeah. Yes. And also their new stand looks quite nice from the exterior as well as the interior. It didn't look like it's got fans in the um, top deck yet. Uh, so one, it looked nice. Two, it was very weird watching the game at Craven Cottage from a different camera height as well. Just little things like that I pick up on because I'm quite uh, weird like that. Well, thanks again for tuning in and for sticking with us through this long. We have rambled on, we know. The fact that you're still here and listening, uh, great. Uh, We're glad that you're here. We appreciate it. And hopefully there'll be more of you as the weeks continue. So stick with us and we're going to come back and talk about the fantasy league that we've set up. We're going to talk about how our teams have done after week one. Okay, fantasy Premier League. You set this league up. I did. You're the one who was really pushing us to do this because generally what happens with me is I make a team and by week three, I forget to make the changes. I've got an injured player. I drop down the league and then I give up. And at the end of the season, I'll check where I came and how many of my players were were injured for the whole season. Um, But I'm going to try and stay involved in this one for as long as I'm top because I've just realised that... Leading the league so far is my team with 71 points. Joint leading the league. Well, I must be top for some reason. I mean, goal difference? Or what? I mean, You're top because you picked the players that scored the most. So, bravo. Well done. You basically, you know, Captain Salah, as most people did, including myself. And Zinchenko got an assist for you. Other than that, and obviously Haaland as well, getting a couple of goals, Darwin Nunez, who I took out of my team last minute. I changed my team around a little bit. 
But uh, yeah, 71 points, great. I'm only three points behind though. Yeah, it's tight. And we've got a good, a good few people in there and it is, it is tight. It's not, um, it's not a, t- a league that's spread out too far. I think this season there are some obvious people to pick uh, and to have in there. I think that looking through other people's teams, I'm looking at Shaz Blues, who are currently joint top with you. See, seven points for the goalkeeper in Edison, whereas you only got the one with Allison. So that's their differential there. Two, three of the same defenders as me, James Kinsella and Alexander-Arnold. Uh, Bailey in the midfield from Aston Villa. Salah as captain as well. Martinelli was the, the key one in there, obviously getting the goal for us. So that's not a bad team. Let's see what uh, they do with that. A friend of mine, Farm Merza with Merza's Marvels, he will be reveling in the fact that he is ahead of me at the moment. But uh, I already picked him up on this. So to everyone who's looking at that team now, Mitrovic was on the bench. And this is a Fulham fan who had a big love in about Mitrovic before the weekend. Oh, isn't he wonderful? Isn't he lovely? Yeah, he didn't have the guts to start him. And he only got in because Moutinho was injured and dropped down to the bench. So, you know, and I have already sent him a message about that. So he'll be spewing when he hears that. But yeah, it's tight to start off. Did you pick from this weekend anyone who instantly stands out that you don't have in your team that you now need to get? Uh, I'm quite disappointed that I listened to your rhetoric about James (laughs) Ward-Prowse. not scoring many points each week because <laughs> when I took him out, that led to me changing really the rest of my team so I could get in <laughs> Bailey. And then he goes and scores a fantastic well-controlled sort of half volley. Um, so I'm a little bit disappointed that I might be bringing him back in. <laughs> Maybe that was my master plan all along was to just put you off the scent. Uh, yeah, I, I, I kind of thought to be honest, because I, I also had left it. I didn't, I wanted to leave it as a surprise to see what your team looked like uh, for when we recorded. So I was surprised that he wasn't in there and you did chase after Mares instead. Uh, so yeah, great that you missed out on those points. There's two people I'm looking at straight away. One is Cucurello, I think, on the first pod. I said when he went to City, I'd be more than happy. Now he's at Chelsea and competing with Chilwell. Uh, I don't know who's going to start there, so I'll probably be be bending him off. And then the fact that um, Mara's only played a minute or two at the end uh, um, was behind Foden and Grealish, and uh, I don't know how often he'll start, so maybe tempted to to make a change there. But I think they'll rotate a lot. I think Mara's is, you know, Mara's was the one they didn't want to let go, so. I think he is still important to what um, Pep wants to do there. I think the real danger, but it's very expensive, is De Bruyne uh, as well as Haaland. Is there space for him? You know, Salah got a goal and an assist, so he has to stay even though he's that expensive. There's a part of me that wants to get rid of him just because he's so expensive and bring in a couple of the 8 million options like Kuliszewski, who did have a good weekend. Uh, Mason Mount will hit form at some point and, and get go on a purple patch. Same as James Madison, who's in and around that same kind of price, who looked good from the highlights I saw of the Leicester game. But I 
am going to probably stick with my team. I don't think I'm going to change anything just yet. When I do change, I like to go quite big. So as a minimum, I want those two free transfers in there so that I'm not just eating into my points totals. But I'm going to stick with what I've got because I did pick this team knowing that all of them had a good run of first games. I was definitely caught out myself by listening to experts talking about how Bournemouth are really under the gun, have had a terrible preseason and are really going to struggle and Aston Villa are going to come in and absolutely sweep them aside. That didn't happen at all. So I didn't get any points really with my Aston Villa picks. But uh, yeah, Gabby Jesus is going to bang in a hat-trick, I think, against Leicester. So we're, we're going to be all good. And I did hover my thumb over the triple captain button, dare I say it. Really? I did. Because triple captain for me is, there's so much pressure around it. And I think it's only ever really worked well for me once. All the other times, you do it when it's a double game week, late in the season, and then the player, one, has a really bad first game and maybe only gets two or four points. And you're like, okay, it's fine. He'll he'll get a couple of goals in the next game and it'll be fine. He'll score 20 points and I'll take home 60 with the triple captain. And then lo and behold, he's on the bench because, say if it's Salah, for example, they've got a big Champions League game coming up. And I've been screwed by that by City and by Liverpool in the past. So I thought, you know what? Why not take a punt on triple captain first game? I did bottle it. I didn't do it after all, but I might make a pledge right here, right now on the show. I'm going to play my triple captain before the World Cup. Right. Okay. And I'm already regretting saying that publicly, so I might edit that part out. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to triple captain Gabby Jesus against Spurs. What about that? Okay. I like that. That's how much faith I've got in us. Enjoy it while it lasts. You are only three points ahead at the moment. So, well done. Game week one belongs to you. Do I win anything for... for uh, No, absolutely nothing. You're not even going to get a thumbs up from me. But uh, you can go to sleep tonight knowing that it is eating at me a little bit. But there are uh, plenty more weeks for me to storm ahead for you to lose the will to live when it comes to fantasy and for me to be <laughs> week three <laughs> for me to be three, 400 points ahead of you by the end of the season. Um, but maybe there should be something on it. Maybe there should be a forfeit that at the end of the season, uh, whoever loses out of you and I has to do something. Uh, I don't know what that yeah. would be. And again, now I've said that I'm sweating that too. So I should have that part out as well. But uh, yeah, maybe that should be it. That the uh, whoever is relevant who wins it, but whoever comes above the other out of you and I has to do something. Yeah, I, mean, I guess we could open it up to the the community of listeners, and if anybody thinks there's something that we should do, then we we can uh, consider it. That is very dangerous, but yes, let's. Um, I think because we have listeners that both know us, that the suggestions of forfeits are going to be quite terrible but sure let's do it all in the name of entertainment feel free to message us and uh and let us know what you think we should be doing for our forfeits at the end of the season for fantasy football we're on instagram at turnstiles underscore tribulations we're also on twitter at afc turn underscore trib 
And we're also on Facebook where you can find us searching at Turnstiles and Tribulations. So that's the end of the show, our second one. Thanks again for tuning in. We do really appreciate it. We've got Leicester coming up next week at the Emirates. So we'll be back to talk a little bit more about hopefully another good performance. We'll touch on the next three episodes of All or Nothing. And we'll see if I manage to edge back ahead of Chris in the fantasy football. Yeah, thanks a lot for listening, everybody. And um, we'll speak to you next week after another Arsenal win up the Arsenal. 